let there be light. Hello, Cedar Creek Church. It is great to see you this morning. At this time in our service, normally you see a very nice looking chisel. Pastor Philip Lee comes up to deliver God's word and challenge us. Today you get me, I'm so sorry. Me is Danny Wilson. I'm the campus pastor here at our Banks Mill location. And one of the things I appreciate so much is that from time to time, Pastor Philip allows campus pastors or whoever we designate to come in to speak. And so today I have that opportunity and I am really, really excited about being here to share with you for the next little bit. So thank you for being here for this today. Uh, You know, one of the other things I'm really, really excited about is this sermon series that we started last week called Transitions. And what it is, it's a time for us to look at changes that come in a family and how they affect the family. And heaven only knows there are a lot of changes that are happening in families this day and time. Anything from marriage to babies to divorce, to death, to healthcare issues, to retirement, to empty nest, the list goes on and on and on of what families are faced with today. And so it is constantly changing. And one of the things that we know very well here at the church is that as these changes happen, how people manage change really does determine the health of their family. Because things are changing all the time. If they're managed well, families typically turn out pretty healthy. If they're not being managed well, then typically families don't turn out very well. And there can be a lot of hurt involved with that, a lot of damage that's done during that time. And so one of the things we want to do, do during the sermon series is just to help you manage, that, manage those transitions and that change. Another thing I'll tell you is this, that we're not smart enough to know how to tell you to manage all of the things that are happening in your life. However, we are smart enough to know where to point you for someone that can help you, and that's to God and to his word. And so that's what we're trying to do during this series is just give you some biblical wisdom on managing these different changes and different transitions that are coming in life. And so that's what we're going to do today, and we're going to continue that sermon series. And today I get to focus on a really fun topic called Fighting Fairly. Uh, fighting fairly within the family. So we're dealing with conflict today and, and how we handle that, especially as it relates to the family, but then also broader than that, you can use the things we're gonna talk about today in a lot of different contexts as you deal with conflict and you deal with difficulty. So that's where we're going. I'll also tell you this, when I first got the topic for today's sermon, I thought, okay, this, this will be okay. My family came through pretty good and I grew up in a family that we were pretty good. And as I started reading and studying God's word and getting ready for today, I realized just how short I come in this area. I will tell you this, one of the things we always try to do here at Cedar Creek Church is be transparent when you stand behind this podium to speak. Pastor Philip does that and whoever stands here, we wanna be real. We may be pastors, but we struggle with things just like everybody else does. Today, you're gonna hear a lot of stories about me and most of them are gonna be where I fall short because I want you to know this, I fall short a lot. And so if that's you today, I understand and I get it. And hey, join the club. We're gonna all stumble one step closer to Jesus and keep taking those steps. But today I'll be real transparent with you as we deal with this. But just know this was tough for me to get ready for. It may be tough for you. And in a lot of ways, I hope it is because that means God's dealing with you on a way that you can do this better and learn more about this. So with that being said, I need to go ahead and get started because we got a lot to cover. And so we're gonna be looking at five keys that are gonna help us fight fairly within our family and in a broader context, any relationship. And to do that, I want to start by sharing 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. So if you'll look on the screen or on your copy of version or your copy of God's Word as I read, that would be great. And here's what God's Word says. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. 
Don't, re- don't retaliate when insults, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. So what we're going to do is unpack some ways that we can deal with conflict and even fighting within our families. So let's go ahead and get started with this first one. Increase your sympathy. So when you're having a fight, one of the things you need to do is to increase your sympathy. And some of you are probably thinking, uh, what is he talking about? In a conflict, in a difficult time, I'm supposed to increase my sympathy? Are you serious? And yes, I'm being serious. God's word tells us very clearly in this verse, midway, to sympathize with each other. So let's talk about that word sympathy for just a minute. What it actually means is to suffer with, or I love this one, or feeling the like, with another or a fellow feeling. So basically what this is telling us to do is that we need to get what the other person's feeling. We need to try to understand where they are as we deal with these conflicts and difficulties. And again, this is very hard and difficult to do outside of God enabling us and helping us do that through his Holy Spirit. But we're ultimately trying to increase our ability to understand where the other person's coming from. Let me illustrate in kind of a simple way what this might look like within a family. Um, One of the things I so appreciate about my wife, and by the way, our guest services team first service ratted me out to her about some of the stuff I'm sharing. Now she knew it, but they look after her because they went out there and told her what I'm getting ready to tell you. So to explain that to me. But anyway, she loves a clean house. Don't get me wrong. I love a clean house too. Her idea of clean and my idea of clean, they're a little bit different. I'm gonna show you where this is illustrated. This picture you're getting ready to see on the screen is in our bathroom and it's really exciting. I mean, it's a closet door. And on that closet door, you see a little rack there hanging over that has some towels on it. But that to my wife is clean because there's no clutter around there. Floor's clean. You see in the bedroom, bed's made. It's just clean. Now, again, I'm clean too. Let me show you what my idea of still a clean house is. If we could see that next picture, you'll notice something different. There's some clothes that are hanging on that door. Now, notice where those clothes are. They're behind the door. So if anybody comes in the bedroom, you can't see them or anything else. This looks clean to me. Those are sweaty gym clothes that out of courtesy to my wife, I don't throw in the hamper because they're going to stink in there. And I just try to put them somewhere to dry. She didn't care for that, okay? So for a long time, we went back and forth about this and where my wet clothes needed to hang. And she said, not on the door. I don't care. Put them somewhere, not on the door. So after probably too long, I thought, okay, I need to sympathize with her. And by the way, this happened before the message. I'd like to tell you God convicted me and he did, but not before this. But let me show you where my clothes are now as I sympathize with my wife. That is in my garage, okay? And that is if you go in my back door, just to the left of my back door, those are 3M hooks. And every time I finish working out in shower, I go and I hang my stuff up out there so that the house stays neat and clean. Because even before the message, I tried to sympathize with her and understand where she was coming from. But let's get a little bit deeper and talk about, because that was very serious to her, but let's go a little bit deeper and talk about what this could look like. You know, within families, how money is spent can oftentimes be a big deal. And a lot of times it seems like one spouse likes to save and one spouse likes to spend. 
And so one of the things that we need to do as we think about, and that can cause a lot of agreement and, and disagreement rather. So one of the things we can do is sympathize. And that is for each of the people to try to understand the other person. Hey, why do you like to save? Hey, why do you like to spend? And just start a dialogue about where each of you are and why you feel that way. Again, trying to understand and sympathize each other, sympathize with each other. Another one might be helping around the house. Again, taking off of what you just saw on the screen. Maybe for some of you, a clean house looks like this. For some of you, it looks like this. And instead of getting mad and button heads with each other, try to find that common ground of what that looks like and what that feels like for you. It could be something as serious as the hours that you work. And maybe a, a spouse is putting in a lot of hours to try to provide vacations and the home and the car and all those things. And another spouse just wants him to be home and feels like, hey, he or she's working way too much. Again, sympathize. Try to understand where the other person's coming from because they're probably not unrealistic. There's probably a good reason behind how they feel. And we need to delve into that and try to find that out. Because at the end of the day, what we need to understand that as Christ followers, we need to work hard to understand our family members, or we need to work hard to understand the people we work with or that we hang around. And that's very, very important that we begin to understand their perspective and sympathize with them. So the question I have is, how can we begin to do that? How can we get better at this? And one common thing you're going to find in each of these points, I'm going to start with begin to pray about this. Because we laugh about some of these things now, but some of the things we're talking about in this very first point are things that really cause marriages and families a huge strain. So begin to pray, God, help me figure out and help me to understand how I can be more sympathetic in the relationship with my child, with the relationship with my spouse or coworker. So pray. Another thing I would challenge you to do is to just listen to really listen and try to connect your heart with the heart of that person that you're having this conflict with. Ask questions, try to clarify and to figure out what is it about this situation that's bringing this conflict in? What bothers you so much about this? That's important. And then the other thing is, hey, just to remember, we have our own preferences. All of us have our own preferences of ways and things we like done a certain way. And so we need to realize as we talk to that other person, they have their ways as well. And so how do we sympathize with one another and get to that place where it doesn't cause that conflict and that problem? So I want you to think in this first point about this. What's one step that you can take to increase your sympathy? What's one step that you could take to really try to understand and connect with that person that you're in conflict with? That being said, let's go on to number two. Another key for fighting fairly is to show compassion. In the last part of verse um, eight, it says this, that we are to sympathize with each other, but we're also to be tenderhearted or compassionate with one another. Now, I'm really not trying to tick you off this morning because you're probably sitting there thinking, Danny, I have this big conflict going on right now and you've told me that I need to be sympathetic and now you have, um, now you have the, the um, wherewithal to tell me that I need to practice compassion. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Who wants to show compassion when you're mad? No, you want to get angry. You want to clench your fist. You want to punch something. You want to scream. You want to yell. The last thing you want to do is step back and think, I'm going to be compassionate as we deal with this situation. And I understand that and I get that and I'm with you on that. But what we're talking about here is being tenderhearted, is really trying to soften your heart to where this person is. I found it quite interesting as I studied this word a little bit more. Um, you may not find this interesting at all, but this word also in the original language of Greek means, and I'm being serious when I tell you this, having strong bowels, okay? And I'm sitting here thinking, how can this word being tenderhearted and it also means having strong bowels. 
And I started thinking to myself, one of the best ways we could show compassion might be if we have strong bowels pushing that person away till we have a few minutes to think about what we're gonna say and think about the situation and not rush into it. Now that's not out of a commentary or anything else, but I just thought that was quite interesting that they brought that point out. And I thought maybe that's just a tool that someone could use if they have those strong bowels to give them a little bit of space and a little bit of time in there, I don't know. But seriously, what we're called to do is to be compassionate to be tenderhearted even in the middle of that conflict or that difficulty. And here's what I want you to do for a minute. I want you to really think with me, when you're in conflict, do you find it easy to look at the other person differently? And this could even be your spouse. Let's be real about this. When you're in conflict with that person, is it easy to see them as an opponent, as an enemy, as an adversary? Is it, I mean, is, is that easy for us to do or is it easier in the middle of that conflict for us to step back and to see that other person as valuable, important, special, created by God, to see them with compassion? The reality is a lot of times it's easier for us to see that person as an adversary, as, as an opponent to us because they're butting heads with us. And what I would say to you is that's not compassion. Compassion is seeing them as God created them, seeing them with a tender heart. You know, one of the places for me, uh, or one of the questions I ask myself often about this is, why is it that it's so easy, especially to people that we're closest with, when we go through these kind of situations, why is it easy to say things and to do things toward them that are cruel and sometimes even mean, that lack compassion? Why is that? And I don't know, in my own mind, I started thinking maybe because we feel like that person that we love the most, that family member that we're most invested in, maybe it's because they have to love us because they're in our family, or we just feel like they're going to love us no matter what. I don't know what that reasoning is, but this point really came real to me because I started thinking about my relationship with my wife. And I have to tell you that one of the things um, that I struggle with sometimes is when I get behind the wheel of a car because I know what I'm doing behind the wheel of a car, okay? I know that I can go this fast. I know that I have enough room to maneuver in front of that car. I know that I don't need a football field to stop my car. When my wife drives, she drives um, differently than me because she's gonna stop a football field in front of the car behind her and she's gonna make sure she has plenty of room to get around that car and she's gonna stay pretty close to the speed limit and she's gonna drive safely. So when we go places and I'm driving, there's some tension because we start, and I do, I really do start off trying to, to let off, not weave in and out of traffic, but the more we drive and the more I want to get there, my foot gets heavy. I want to start, we, I think I drive for NASCAR or something, so I want to weave in and out of traffic. I want to stop on a dime. I know what I'm doing. I got this. And it drives her nuts. And so many times she will say something to me and just a call, you're scaring me. Can you please not go so fast? Can you please break a little bit earlier? And my initial response to her, I can promise you is not compassion and tender heartedness. It's either I'll just pull over and let you drive or you're driving me nuts. Quit talking to me like that. Or I'm lighting into her and I'm fired up because she's confronting me and saying to me in compassion, she's saying to me, you're scaring me, but man, I fire back at her and I don't have that tender heart that I know I should have. And, and I struggle with that. So there's something you could pray for me about. I'd appreciate it if you would. But let me give you some examples, uh, maybe, well, that's pretty serious, but let me give you some others that I thought about of when it's hard to show compassion. One of them is when you're confronted with something that you need to change, whether that's a behavior, words, habits, whatever else. When we're confronted with something that we need to change in our lives, it's very easy to lose that compassion and become just very brittle and mean and cruel at times when somebody confronts us with that. 
or when something is in our preference. I know from time to time I can get fired up if something's on our family calendar and I really don't want to do it. Do we really have to go to this? Do we really have to hang out with those people? Now, none of that Cedar Creek people, but other people, I'm like, do we really have to go hang out here and do this? And so sometimes even something as simple as a calendar can be something that can create conflict or just an untimely request. Hey, it's been a long day. I've been working hard. I just want to sit here on the couch for a minute. Or we think about the whole idea of I'm doing something else and right now it's not a convenient time to do that. But yet somebody's asked us, a child, a spouse, somebody to do something. And so what do we do? We lose that tenderheartedness, we lose that compassion and we fire back something at them that only makes that conflict grow more and more and more. Or the other thing I thought about is just when we feel attacked. When I'm driving my car at times, while my wife doesn't mean this at all, she's just saying to me, slow down, you're scaring me. I feel attacked. I feel like you're questioning my NASCAR-like skills and I know what I'm doing. So I feel attacked in that situation. Or maybe that I haven't done something that I should have done. Maybe somebody's asking my daughter, my wife, hey, would you make this call? Would you do this or that? And it's easy to get defensive as I haven't done that as if it's their fault, not my fault. So I just want you to think about where for you do you struggle with showing compassion and being tenderhearted? And maybe even write that down on your program as a reminder, that's something you need to begin to pray about of where that area is that you're really struggling. And how can we learn to show compassion and tenderheartedness? Imagine this, we could pray. God, I need you to help me with this. This isn't normal. And when I get into a conflict and I get into a fight, it's not, this isn't normal to be tenderhearted. Help me because I know that's what your word says. I know that's what honors you. Another thing we could do is be slow to speak. Um, that's something I haven't learned either. Uh, I've had to learn the hard way sometimes. My mouth gets me in trouble and we'll talk about that in a minute. But just listen to this verse as just a reminder of the importance of this. God's word says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. That's a challenge. Then he says to be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Listen to that again, be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to get angry. There's value in slowing our mouths down before we say something that we regret and shouldn't say. So we can pray, we can be slow to speak. We can remember that the person we're talking to is absolutely valuable as a very special person. They're a treasure that God's put in our life. And even though they may not act like it all the time, that is really who they are. And we need to remind ourselves of that instead of going on the attack against them. And the, the reality is we can all be that tough person at times. So we need to rem remember that as well. And then remember how God treats us. God treats us with compassion. God treats us tenderheartedly, even though we, we don't deserve it because we've crossed him, we've sinned against him, we've made him angry, but he still treats us with compassion and being tenderhearted. So just think about that today. The first thing that you need to do is to increase your sympathy. Another thing you need to do is show compassion. The third one, which will be really easy when you're in a, in a fight, is to stay humble, to stay humble. And so I know you're thrilled that you came today. Um, as you've heard that in a fight, show sympathy, show compassion, and now stay humble. Really, Danny, are you being serious? And I am being serious. What I want you to be thankful for today is that this is God's plan and he'll empower you to do it. Because if it was my call, it would be a different situation. There would be a lot of wounded people, a lot of hurt people. There'd be a lot of tears. There'd be a lot of bitterness because I don't like handling conflict like God's telling us to. I don't always want to fight like God's telling us to. I want to get in there and get after it. And God's saying, no, that's not the, that is not my plan in the way I want you to do this. I want you to handle it differently. So with that being said, let's talk for a minute about a humble attitude. And one of the best definitions I've heard for humility is this. Listen closely because these words may, may throw you off for a minute. Not thinking less of yourself, 
but thinking of yourself less. Listen to that again. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Let's talk about what that means. And before I do that, I need to be really clear. I don't want you to ever think less of yourself. I want you to know for just a minute what God thinks about you. So I'm gonna take you to um, Psalm 139 and I would tell you to close your eyes, but you'll go to sleep on me. So just listen as I read these words. This is what God thinks about every one of you and about me. He says this, you made all my delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Listen to these verses. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I I cannot even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake, you are still with me. You want to know what God thinks about you? And listen to me. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. God says that you're wonderfully and fearfully made. He said that you're complex. He says he thinks about you all the time, more than the number of grains of sand that are on the face of this earth. He thinks about you that much in a day, which means you're on his mind all the time. So I need you to know today, as I talk about this idea of humility, please do not think less of yourself. Because again, I don't care where you are, how disobedient to God, how far from God you feel, God thinks you're incredible and he created you that way. What I'm gonna challenge you to do is to think about yourself a little bit less. And this can be really hard, especially when we go through a time of conflict and fighting. So let's let's get a little uncomfortable for a minute. You know, many of the conflicts and the fights that we're in are rooted in one thing, and that is we're thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about the other person, we're simply thinking about us. And so that other family member, that other friend, they're not even really on our mind. We're thinking about, hey, come, how do I win this? How do I get out of this? How do I get, how am I not scarred from this? And we don't give much consideration to the other person. But what I want to share and, and what I'm going to share with you for now is just another example of what this might look like real life for you of this whole idea of humility. And when I first start sharing this with you, you're going to be, Danny, you've lost your mind. But at the end of it, you're going to see where I'm going. One of the things that I absolutely love is candy. Okay. I love to eat candy and bread. And one of the things that my family knows is when candy and food come in the house, you better lay claim to it quickly because if it goes in our little plastic box, it's free for anybody. Not too long ago, Kelly came home and one of the things that she loves and that I love are turtles. And so she brought some chocolate turtles in and she put them in the pantry and she said, these are mine, do not eat these. Okay, no problem at all, that's fine. Two, three weeks went by, all three turtles are still in the bag. So I thought, hmm, these are gonna go bad. So I really did think this, I'm not kidding. And I thought, I'm gonna eat these. So I sat down and I ate the first one and thought, that was really good. I ate the second one, that was even better. The third one was the best. I ate all three of them. I kid you not, 24, maybe 48 hours, I'm sitting in my office here at church. My phone rings, I pick it up. All she says to me is, where are the turtles? I'm, oh y'all, my heart sunk and I thought, and so I, I just told her, I said, well, I ate them. You ate the turtle. I told you not to eat those. Well, Kel, they were in there for three weeks, two weeks, three weeks. They were going to go bad. She was livid with me. And I hung up the phone thinking to myself, 
that's the dumbest thing. She's mad because I ate her turtles. Are you kidding me? But what I had to stop and think about is just what we're talking about here. I was thinking more about myself than about her. She had told me not to eat these things. I wanted some chocolate. I was craving some chocolate. So I ate her turtles, okay? That was not good. That is me being incredibly, incredibly selfish and thinking about me way more than I'm thinking about her. And then I think about some more serious things. Um, And this is some pictures of what humility doesn't look like. The spouse who walks in the door and thinks because she, he or she's been working all day that now they're entitled to sit back in the recliner, take their shoes off and be served the rest of the night and not have to worry about anything except watching TV, looking on their phone. That's a picture of what humility doesn't look like. Another picture is I did this or that for you, so now you owe me. That's not humility. Marriage is about serving 100% and not looking for anything else to be done for you, but simply serving that other person. And so to be in this thing of just, I'm doing this for you, so now you do this to me, it's not humility. That's what selfishness is all about. Or how about the child who knows something might help his or her mom and dad, but instead of doing that, they're focused on their phone or their TV show or something they wanna do, and they're not really worried about helping out. They're not really worried about doing things that would help mom and dad out. What I really think this boils down to, quite honestly, if I really had to simplify it for you, the opposite of humility to me is simply selfishness. It's when we take our eyes off the other person and everything becomes about me, which is exactly what I did in my little goofy story a minute ago. It was all about me. And it's so easy for us to get focused on ourselves and to lose sight of the other people, especially when we're in a time of disagreement or argument. So where could you do a better job of showing humility in your family? Where, where could you think less about you and more about them? A couple things I put down here is uh, most people are not morning people. I'm one of those weirdos, I'm a morning person. But most people aren't that way. What could you do tomorrow morning for that person in your family that hates the morning that would simply take focus off you and focus on them? Could you make coffee? Could you get breakfast? Could you help get a school bag ready? What is it you could do to, self, to selflessly serve someone else? Or what about this? Some of us, many of us, all of us probably have little pet peeves. Is there a way for you to put that pet peeve aside and to realize, you know, it's really okay that this thing doesn't happen just like I want it to. I can get over that and I can deal with that. A lot of stuff's going on in our family. A lot of stuff's happening in our life. A lot of stuff's happening in my child's life right now. Do I really need to hammer on this one thing? And so to just think, is there a pet peeve that you could put aside that would help keep that conflict minimized? Or what about something as simple as saying thank you? I think all of us appreciate it when we know someone appreciates us. So to simply say to a mom or dad, hey, thanks for making my sandwich for me this morning for work. Or thank you for picking your clothes up. Or thank you for making dinner. Just those kind of things that show someone you appreciate them and put what they've done above ourselves. So what does it look like in a family to serve with humility? To go out of our way, to to reach and to minister and to help the other person. It's see a need, meet a need. We talk about that all the time. You shouldn't have to be told if the dishwasher's clean to empty it, if the trash is full to take it out, if clothes need to be washed or folded or dry. You shouldn't have to be told to do that. See those things. See that need and do that. Help somebody else out. Be there for them. Serve them. How about something as simple as saying, how are you? And then really listening to what the person says to you. Not a passing comment, hey mom, hey dad, how are you? Or saying to your spouse, how are you? How was your day? And then you shut down. But to really listen to what they're saying to you. 
or just to figure out what that sacrifice is for you that's going to show them that you really do love them and you really do care about them and that in humility you're there for them and it's not about you. So my challenge to all of us is first of all to increase your sympathy as these fights are taking place, to show compassion, to stay humble. The last two, and I'll cover these quickly, the first one here is to dispense mercy. And in verse nine, we're told very clearly to not repay evil for evil, don't retaliate when insults, um, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you, instead pay them back with a blessing. That's what God's called you to do and he'll grant you a blessing. So what we need to do is to think about mercy. What is that? And mercy simply is this, it's not getting something that you deserve. When someone shows you mercy, you're getting something that you don't deserve. And we're told in this scripture how we can practice that is by not repaying evil with evil and not retaliating. And if you stop and think about it, so many family disagreements and fights and conflicts happen because one family member is trying to get back at the other. We don't like to admit that, but that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to repay something that was done to you. And we get ourselves in trouble whenever we do that. And I want you to think for a minute of how showing mercy could change things. I'll never forget as probably a 12 or 14 year old um, a boy, I was sitting on my parents' porch and I had a piece of cardboard in my hand and I was fanning myself or doing something. And I had a brother two years younger than me and Michael um, decided for whatever reason that he wanted to get closer and closer in my face while I was fanning. And I kept telling him, if you get close enough, I'm gonna hit you in the face with this cardboard. And he kept coming and coming. I said, Michael, I'm telling you, you better stop because if you get close enough, I'm gonna hit you with this. So instead of showing mercy to Michael when he got close enough and that cardboard hit him, I ended up getting off of the couch where I was and beating him down like crazy, tore him up. And I'm just thinking to myself, when I'm thinking about this point, I'm thinking, I know more should probably need to call and apologize to him quite honestly, but I'm thinking I beat him down over something as silly as that. And instead of showing him mercy and just saying, dude, why would you do that and, and engage him in a conversation? I just jumped off the couch and decided I would whip him because I was bigger than him, which makes no sense, but it's what I did. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not showing mercy. Showing mercy would be like my dad. 1988, I know this is gonna blow you away, but in 1988, I was at Gardner-Webb College and I decided to apply myself to racquetball, to basketball, to eating out late, to doing all these things and not to studies. So my parents in May of that year came to me and they said, you're not going back to college. You pretty much flunked yourself out. I had less than a 1.0 GPA, okay? So I'll give you some idea. I just love college for the wrong reasons. And so I remember leaving thinking, I wonder if I'll ever go back to college or if I do, it'll be on my dime. And that scared me a little bit at that point. So my parents let me work for a while and I'll never forget after about a year and a half, I went to my dad and I said, dad, I think I'm ready to go back to school. And he said, okay, that's great. And he said, I'm gonna make a deal with you. He said, son, if you will go to the community college in Charlotte, Central Piedmont Community College, you show me you're serious, I'll pay for you to go back to school. I said, that's a deal. About a year later, I went to dad with my grades and I said, dad, here are my grades. And they were much different than the time before. I'd applied myself. I'd done what I needed to do. And my dad said, okay, we're going to get you in, into school. We're going to get you into a, a local school that was right outside of Charlotte, Wingate University. And I got in there and my dad picked up the tab for the rest of my college education. And to this day, I'll never forget. He should have never done that because I had my chance, I had other siblings. We never had to pay for my co our po college educations, four of us as a matter of fact, but yet my dad was willing to give Danny a second chance. Didn't deserve it, but my dad in mercy gave that to me. And then one that's happened just recently, um, we all do boneheaded things. I did some boneheaded things financially. 
I'll never forget having to tell my wife about this, not knowing how she was going to respond. And after talking with her and her having some responses that she should have had, I'll never forget her forgiveness to me and the mercy she showed to me and the fact that um, very seldom after that point did I ever sense any bitterness or anger at me or anything else. We're a team. She said, we're going to work on this together. We're going to get rid of this. And that's what we've done. And she stood right beside me and showed incredible mercy to me. And so what I would say to you today is this really is what this is all about. Showing that mercy, not giving somebody what they deserve, even in that conflict, even in that situation, not giving someone what they deserve, but extending mercy to them and forgiveness to them. And what I know today is that we all need that mercy at some point. I pray that you're not sitting here thinking about the fact that your life is all put together and you don't ever make any mistakes that require mercy because I'm telling you, you do and you're fooling yourself if you think that. And if nothing else, God of this universe, you owe him everything. He owes you nothing, but he extends incredible mercy to you through his son, Jesus Christ. He pays the absolute greatest debt for your sin and my sin that he could pay. He's willing to do that. And that same mercy we get from him and that other people give to us, we need to extend to other people. So I would ask you this, how could you show mercy in your family? Where do you need to show mercy in your family? And I'll tell you this, in order to show it, you better be praying because this is a hard one to be able to do to show mercy to somebody. We need to realize that we need to have the hard talk. We need to understand it's okay to share our hurt with people. It's also important that we understand there's a price for mercy. That price is not cheap. When someone doesn't give us something that we deserve, that's costing somebody something that's costing them not to give it back to us. And they've chosen to do that. I would also just sort of tell you and remind you over and over again that God shows you mercy over and over and over again. He shows you mercy way more than you'll ever be called on to show mercy. And we need to be willing to extend that to other people and then constantly remind yourself of your need for it, that you absolutely need to have mercy also. So let's go to this final point. So, so far, when you're fighting with your family or whoever, increase your sympathy, show compassion, stay humble, dispense mercy. Now, the easiest one of all, watch your mouth. Just kidding, I was messing with you. This one is not easy by any sense of the word. As a matter of fact, I thought about this and how difficult this was, and I thought about a great theologian who has some words for us. I'll share the words, and you can tell me who this is. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands because I cannot do this on my own. I'm letting go. Anybody know who that is? Carrie Underwood, absolutely. All for great. I'm gonna tell you right now, when it comes to watching my mouth and doing these other things, I need Jesus to take the wheel, take it from me because I cannot possibly do this on my own. Now, here's what I need for you to do. Stop thinking about that song. Quit singing it in your mind. Give me a few more minutes and then you go and listen to it the rest of the day today. That being said, words are really, really important. And we need to understand that to fight fairly in a family and to deal with conflict in a family, we have to watch our words. With students, I used to do a little illustration. Some of you may have seen this, but this tube of toothpaste is like our words. And it's very easy to say those words. They come out of our mouth really, really easy. What's very difficult is to get these words, uh, get this toothpaste back in this tube. It's very hard to take our words back once we've said them. Once they come out, they're out and they've done their damage. I'm not saying it can't be healed and that God can't do a work there, but we have to be so careful because once we spew that word, it's out there. Whether it's in anger, hurt, whatever the emotion is, we have, to be, we have to just understand those words, once they're out, they're out and they do their damage. And we're told very clearly in verse 10 that if we will watch our words, we're gonna enjoy life, we're gonna enjoy happy days when we keep our tongue from speaking evil and telling lies. 
So we really need to focus on this one because it's important to keep those words in check and to think before we speak. I was reminded of Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, as I thought about this point. Listen to these words closely. God's word says this, do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear. Think about that for just a minute. We're told in God's word to not use fool, uh, to not use foul or abusive language. We're in the middle of that conflict. We're in the middle of that fight that we're in. Don't do that. But instead, everything that we say needs to be good and helpful and encouragement to other people. And I wonder in my own life and my own family, as I've dealt with conflicts, how much different they might've turned out had I practiced what that said. And instead of mouthing off saying something before I spoke to make sure what I was gonna say was gonna edify them, was gonna build them up, was gonna encourage them. As hard as that is, I wonder how much it might've changed some of those situations. So how can you use your words in your family and during conflict to be good and helpful? Really, I have two bits of, of wisdom for you here. God's gonna have to help you. You have to pray and ask him to help you. And then you're gonna have to practice doing it because I think this is something God gradually works on us and it takes some time and we've got to allow him to continue to work and change our heart so that instead of firing back in anger, we fire back in love and grace and mercy and we speak words that are encouraging even in the middle of that situation. So this morning, a really simple message. Everybody can just jump right on board and do that. No problem at all to increase that sympathy, show compassion, stay humble, dispense mercy, and then to watch your mouth. So my challenge for you today in these times of transition in your family is to know tough times are coming, difficult times are coming. Uh, know that's happening, but know that God has a plan and we can find it in what we've talked about today. So I would challenge you to continue to read over that passage, look over your notes and allow God to work and do in your heart and your life what he wants to do. Because what I do know he wants is that even in times of conflict and even in times of turmoil, he wants us to reflect Jesus and he wants to help us to become a stronger family and stronger relationships. And most often that happens in time of conflict, but we've got to do it God's way for that to happen. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I want to come to you and thank you for our time today. And uh, what a message today. I know in my own life that you uh, really worked on my heart about a lot of things today and showed me a lot of places where I come up short. And my thought is there's probably a lot of people that are listening today here on Banks Millfather Online that are struggling with some of the very things we've talked about today. And in a conflict that they may be in right now, if they're not in it now, Father, they may, it may be coming soon. But Father, a lot of things we talked about today seem impossible. And quite honestly, they are impossible aside from you and your Holy Spirit working in us. And I do pray this morning that we would surrender whatever it is that's causing that conflict, whatever it is that's causing that fight, we would surrender that to you. And that as we do that, Father, you would give us victory, that we would look like Jesus, that we would act like Jesus. And Father, we would simply honor you even in the times of conflict and anger. So again, would you help us live out your word? Would you forgive us for the times that we fall short? And Father, thank you most of all for your amazing love for us and that everything we've talked about today, everything we've talked about today, you do perfectly in our own lives. And I thank you that you set the example for us. Thanks for being here with us today, Father, and thanks for continually wanting to transform our lives. And if we'll allow you to do that, that's what you'll do. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.